This is the Palladian Energy Podcast, a podcast series for energy professionals featuring short, insightful interviews with experts who can shed light on topics that matter to you and your business. We'll cover issues relevant to the upstream, midstream and downstream sectors. The first series will comprise 10 episodes, each providing valuable information on the topic of digitalization in the oil and gas industry. I'm your host, Callum O'Reilly, Senior Editor at Palladium Publications. Please subscribe to the podcast for free on anchor.fm and rate and review. Sponsoring this episode of the Palladian Energy Podcast is Prisma Photonics, helping to keep the most critical large-scale infrastructure up and running. Introducing a quantum leap in pipeline monitoring for smarter, safer and more efficient operations. Head to prismaphotonics.com to learn more about PrismaFlow, a pipeline monitoring solution that can scale to thousands of kilometers without installing any sensors for leak detection, third-party intrusion, excavations and more. Prisma Photonics, pipeline responsibility at scale. This episode was recorded on the 14th of February 2022. Welcome to episode four of the podcast. Today I'm joined by Alan Gelder, the Vice President of Refining, Chemicals and Oil Markets at Wood Mackenzie. Alan is Wood Mackenzie's global downstream SME and so is responsible for formulating Wood Mackenzie's research outlook and integrated cross-sector perspectives on the global downstream sector. He has over 30 years of industry experience and joined Wood Mackenzie in 2005. Alan has held various leadership and content roles in both consulting and research, which included two years in Houston, Texas. Prior to joining Wood Mackenzie, Alan spent 10 years in industry consulting after working for ExxonMobil in a variety of project planning and technical process design roles. So thanks for joining me today, Alan. I'm really looking forward to getting your thoughts on how the downstream sector in particular is shaping up after what has been a challenging couple of years. Thanks, Callum. It's a pleasure to be here. Hopefully we'll we'll have an interesting conversation. Brilliant. Okay, so to start things off, Alan... Perhaps you could give us a quick summary of how the global refining sector fared in 2021. So some of our listeners may recall that back in May last year, you provided a keynote presentation for Hydrocarbon Engineering's Refinery of the Future Conference, where you predicted a strong recovery in demand. So did this materialise as you expected? Um, Largely, yes, actually, uh, which is always nice to reflect and sort of reflect back on. So 2020 was a very challenging year just because of the demand collapse. 2021 started the journey back to sort of pre-pandemic levels. So oil demand in 2021 was five and a half million barrels a day higher than 2020. Refinery utilisation ticked up sort of three percentage points when we look at it at a, on a global level, uh, got to about 75%, not at 2019 levels. As we got towards the end of the year uh, in 2021, we had the Omicron variant outbreak, uh, which we had to revise down modestly our demand figures. We didn't see it was going to be as severe as Delta. Unfortunately, things pro- proved to be that way. So in a sense, I sit back and 
thank Adam and team for the great work they did in coming up with a sort of 2021-2022 forecasts. If I think about the things that we didn't quite think about or ended up a little bit differently, we actually got more capacity rationalisation than we originally thought. So probably about a million barrels a day more closures of sites than we originally anticipated. Some of that in Europe, um, some, of, some of that elsewhere, because you had incidents like NREF down in South Africa, they had a sort of fire and explosion decided that that was it. That was the end, the end to the operation. So we had more capacity rational, rationalized, which meant the, the market was slightly tighter than we thought. But if we think about global refining margins, annual average for 2020, on a gross basis, it was under a dollar a barrel, which means it wasn't covering costs. 2021, quite a good jump to the $3, $3 a barrel. So most of the refining system was was covering its costs. Second half of the year was very much stronger than the first year as we had sort of step changes in demand at the end of Q2 and the end of Q3 as we kind of hit, hit seasonal changes. But that benefit of higher gross margins didn't make its way to the bottom line uniformly because Europe was challenged by sort of high cost natural gas, which kind of hit towards the end of the year. And also European refiners were exposed to their high carbon costs. And so whilst sort of US, Middle East, Asia, 2021 was much, much better than 2020 in terms of net cash margins, we actually don't think that was really the case for Europe, for Europeans, given the extra cost that they've seen, which meant European runs have been slightly lower than we originally anticipated, and they're also shifting their crude diet because increased costs of natural gas means actually hydrogen is much more expensive, and so the costs of desulfurization are higher, and so we've seen a, a change in, in crude diet. So I'd like to say we did well, but we didn't foresee everything perfectly, but in terms of 2021 being much better than 2020, yes, very, very much so, but then you get into the the specific regional dynamics with Europe being slightly cha slightly challenged by what's happening uh, to its natural gas and its carbon costs. So I've got a big question for you now, Alan. I know that you're not a scientific advisor and I wouldn't want you to make any pr big predictions on what the coronavirus could do next for us. Um, but can we now finally say that the impact of the pandemic is largely over? Now, I'm sure everyone listening will be hoping that it is. So how are things looking for the year ahead and what do you consider to be the key events to watch for in 2022? Well, I'll, say I'll restrict my answers to when we talk about the impact of the pandemic around sort of global oil demand. And then is it largely over? We think it will be largely over this year because we are expecting 2022 oil demand to basically get back to pre-pandemic levels or exceed pre-pandemic levels in the second half of this year. But it's not over over, in, and that's because we, we've jet fuel demand will still be relatively low. If I look back at our sort of global jet fuel demand 2019, it was just under 8 million barrels a day. Uh, 2022, we're expecting it to be 6.3, 6.4 million barrels a day. So there's still, in a sense, the demand profile is still not back to where we were, we're, we're looking for uh, diesel and gasoline to be um, 
greater than 2019 demand levels, utilization to be close to sort of 2019 levels, and sort of our global refining margin, the gross one, to have grown from sort of three dollars a barrel 2021 annual average to almost about four to over four. So it's a much better picture, a much more positive outlook, but we still see Europe being challenged by its high carbon prices and um, high cost natural gas, because originally we were thinking high cost natural gas would ease in the summer. But as the further we go in through the year, the less likely that looks that European gas prices will go back to sort of pre-pandemic levels. So, but there's lots of things that are driving that and the, the um, Russia-Ukraine crisis is a key market uncertainty at the moment as to how that how that will play out and the implications of that will have to the overall energy sector. If we think about some of the things that we're we're watching for the rest of this year, there's lot there's lots. We've talked about Ukraine and Russia and that sort of crisis, how that plays out. We've also had China restrict exports of products and lower industrial activity as we've gone through the Winter Olympics. So that's helped tighten up the product market. So how long will these China export restrictions remain in place, particularly as China is now appears to be quite active in trying to rationalize the independent refining sector. And so re reduce those operations, which in a sense will help, will could well reduce China's overall exports. And then there's lots of things around capacity startups that we need to keep an eye out. So we sense we've got Alzor and Jazan in the Middle East that are in various phases of commissioning. When does the Dangote machine start up um, and how fast will that ramp up? Because that will have an impact on sort of short term uh, European margins. And then we get into sort of the macro aspects of the we've returned to inflation. How will the central banks respond? What will that do to, to oil demand? Will our forecasts for 2022 oil demand exceeding 2019 levels play out if the central banks uh, tighten rates quite considerably? We're not expecting we're not we're not expecting a really fast tightening, but it's something we need to keep an eye out. And then the other thing that's going through um, sort of legislation is the EU's 55 legislation, its proposals and how that changes, which is much more of a medium medium to longer term thing in terms of European demand. But 2022, sort of, we, we certainly think low cost energy has largely gone away. We think this year could be very volatile, just given the geopolitical uncertainties that the world is now sort of facing. So it's going to be another interesting year for the refining for the global refining sector and how it adapts to this ever-changing world we're in so clearly there's lots going on this year alan um, if i was to push you on looking further ahead what do you see as the long-term trends now and what can the refining sector do to add value to its assets in particular the long-term trends now we we're fairly comfortable that those really haven't dramatically change very much over the course of the past year or two. So we think the era of low cost energy has gone, which really prompts refiners to focus on fuel efficiency. Those fuel efficiency projects that might have been marginal before now look more attractive, particularly for those that are exposed to 
sort of carbon costs. The other thing that we're seeing continue to see is strong demand growth for petrochemicals. We think that's sustained. There's lots and lots of interest around making the petrochemical value chain much more circular, but we're still looking at sustained growth for petrochemical feedstocks. And we've got this overarching theme of the energy transition, sort of the debate around COP26 and the aspirations for the ever-tightening NDCs, nationally determined contributions. But what that's ultimately leading to is sort of the broader energy transition where we're looking at falling demand for fossil fuels and a greater desire for lower carbon fuels, be that for more biofuels uh, blending, we're just reducing the carbon intensity of the fuels that are that are being burnt. So those broader things of greater need for fuel efficiency, that remains demand shifting more towards petrochemical feedstocks, less fossil fuel demand, and greater requirements for lower carbon fuels that we think those are the mega sort of trends which means we need to be able to measure our emissions and emissions reductions uh, well but just the other feature we think will prevail for quite some time is as part of this transition we're expecting the world to be increasingly volatile and that volatility to remain hopefully not as extreme of what as what we've seen over recent months because of the uh, the geopolitical implications but we think greater volatility is probably something that will be that will be here to stay so i wanted to drill down now in a little bit into what you just talked about really in terms of the energy transition which is as you mentioned an overarching theme in our sector at the moment so what steps is the refining sector taking to reduce its carbon emissions? There's a few. I mean, the first thing, there's lots of effort being put into measuring what the emissions are. A number of the national governments are already sort of monitoring and companies are reporting. So it's being clear on understanding what your emissions are. So emissions emissions monitoring. What the industry is really looking at now is sort of energy efficiency and fuel efficiency, that's key, that's critical. Lots and lots of projects to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, so not just uh, carbon dioxide, but methane and all, all those sorts of things. And then you get into how do you decarbonize your operations? And there's there's lots of initiatives underway here. Um, very much depends sort of where you, where you are and the degree of support. Um, that is available from governments or investment funds or uh, sort of green strategies. So you can kind of broadly categorize them of being low cost hydrogen. In sort of Germany, what's that doing is promoting green green hydrogen because of the Germany's hydrogen strategy. Elsewhere, there's a lots and lots of interest in carbon sequestration projects as a means of decarbonizing the internal fuel within the refinery and also broadening that capability to supply low carbon fuels to adjacent industries. So the refining industry is now really looking beyond its traditional refinery gate to look at how it can decarbonize its operations and also the operations of those industries that are next to it. And the other thing that's key is decarbonizing or lowering carbon intensity of what it produces. So lots and lots of interest in petrochemical recycling chemical chemical also biofuel use and then you look at 
across Europe, there's lots of projects, pilots underway to try and understand the role of things like municipal solid waste, these sorts of things, how they can be part of the refinery feedstock. So if you take a big step back, refining is a high quality conversion business. That That's going to remain. What they're going to do though, is not just be converting crude oil, but looking at other feedstocks that are available to them to be part of providing low carbon liquid fuels. And at the moment, lots of people exploring lots of things because it's not a clear winner yet. And a clear winner might not emerge for quite some time. So it is really a case of understanding what the options are, what it could mean for individual sites, what the host governments are thinking of and promoting and how best to explore and capture those and capture value in those initiatives. Great. Thanks, Alan. So as you know, the topic of um, this podcast series is digitalization in the oil and gas industry. So I wanted to get your opinion on what role digitalization can play in the coming years to assist refinery operations. So for instance, how can digitalization help to reduce costs and improve operational performance? I think it's going to be an increasingly key part of how the industry operates and improves its performance because the sector is incredibly complex. It collects an awful lot of data, but I'm not sure that at the moment it puts it to best use. And the complexity that the sector enjoys is only going to grow. If we're looking at carbon accounting, carbon emissions, monitoring and optimization, that's adding another sort of externality into the overall site optimization. You need to understand sort of the materiality on carbon emissions for European refiners. The, the costs can be the equivalent of sort of a dollar a barrel on operating units. That's a, that's a very significant, if that was just purely an operating cost on a particular unit, that would get a lot of scrutiny. So it, it needs to be understood. It needs to be managed. Digitalization can help sort of the optimization of the assets through the data that it's got and how to optimize, but also understand how these externalities best fit in. And it needs to also incorporate data from the entire supply chain. Because if you think of this whole journey to a net zero, there's going to be a need to be able to track the carbon emissions from the feedstocks, from the, from the operations and emissions of the refinery, how those categorize through. So it's pulling all of those together which is a huge amount of data and digitalization is going to be a, a way to make sure the refining is an integral part of that and also optimized. You then get into the, the whole thing around refineries only make money when they're running. So you need to keep them available, which may, uh, but also maintenance costs need to be managed. So it's as more data becomes available from equipment operations, from all these sensors, aggregating it all together, pulling it all together to be actually able to deliver something that's actionable either by the operator or within within the operating system of the refineries. Increasingly, it's going to be a key feature as to how the refineries that are successful remain successful by better optimizing across a more complex landscape and driving lower costs. Great stuff. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Alan. Um, it's always great to get your insight into how the sector is shaping up so thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Callum, it's been a pleasure. Good questions. Thank you. 
So there you have it. Thanks again to Alan for his expert insight into where the downstream sector is heading and the vital role that digitalization will have to play in keeping operations profitable. As a special thank you for listening, we'd like to offer you a free trial subscription to Hydrocarbon Engineering Magazine, the leading publication for the global refining, gas processing and petrochemical industry. Each issue is packed full of detailed technical articles, case studies and regional reports from around the world. Visit hydrocarbonengineering.com to grab your free copy today.